The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. I want to ask you as we begin here, where do you feel weak? I'm not asking you to point to a body part. I'm, I'm asking you where in your life or in situations do you feel weak? Do you feel inadequate? Do you ever feel like you're not cut out to serve because of your sin? Is there something you put off that you know God calls you to, but you tend to put off? Something you know you need to do, maybe even right now? Maybe even you've been thinking about it this weekend, but you don't. Maybe there's something you hope goes away. Maybe there's a need you see, but you hope someone else will do it. Maybe there's a task that's hard for you. You can just think of other people you think are are better. But maybe there's a physical struggle. And maybe you're wondering why God has me in this place where it doesn't seem like it will go away. Maybe there's a difficulty or a perceived inability. Maybe there's a relationship, something in your family. I've, I've heard of a number of parents in the last just couple of weeks feeling at a real loss or on the verge of losing it. I'm aware of some in this room who are awaiting a diagnosis and maybe wondering, if or how you can face it. I know for some here, the, your age or stage of life can be a real discourager and demotivator at times. And, and I know in my own heart, I can make excuses. And we can all make excuses why we're not doing things that God calls us to. Maybe for you it's Bible reading or prayer or not serving or not giving or not sharing Christ. God's word is sharper than any two-edged sword to cut through All of that, and so I would ask you to open it to Exodus 4, and and I need to share with you a way that I was convicted this week. I was at Barnes & Noble on Monday night. Last week I talked about ways that God communicates. I know many of you have felt the Lord has communicated to you and impressed truths on you or a thought that you just were certain was from the Lord and I'm not denying any of those experiences, but I'll tell you, as there was a situation at Barnes & Noble where I heard an audible voice, it was a female voice, and it said, you should go talk to that guy over at the the Bible section, it was my wife's audible voice, just in case you're wondering, (laughs) you should go talk to that guy, it looks like maybe he's looking at Bibles, and so I, I heeded that voice, sort of. I went over there and kind of looking at the guy and the books he was looking at and kind of thinking of what to say and, and what's going on in my mind is maybe he doesn't want to talk or or maybe, and I'm, I'm, I'm going through all these things in my mind and then the moment passes and I didn't even try to open my mouth and, and talk to him. And I was, I was convicted, especially as I was the rest of the week studying Moses when God called him to do something that was a lot harder than just trying to talk to someone in the Bible section. It's kind of a softball, little soft pitch. 
But I was reminded also this week of about 23 years ago when we were in a home Bible study down in Southern California, and the leader asked if I would like to speak, and I just said, no, I, no thank you. He asked me to pray about it, and, and I remember going and feeling convicted and, and thinking of the passage that we're about to read here, thinking of Moses when he was asked to do something, and just the excuses, not just going on in his mind, but that he verbalized And I was convicted uh, afresh thinking about Moses at the burning bush here. And and I just want to share with you, if you feel inadequate, if you feel reluctancy to to do certain things, you're in in good company with, with Moses, with me in weakness. And with bad excuses, but we need to move forward from that. And, and God doesn't let Moses off the hook here. God actually helps him. God is gracious to, to meet him where he is, but not to leave him there. And, and so if you're feeling maybe tired, maybe you're feeling too old to be useful, or maybe you're troubled by losing some of the abilities and energy you had before, The 80-year-old man we're going to see named Moses identifies. But his God has sovereign and sufficient power for inadequate servants. And and the context is what I'm going to read here. Moses had fled from Egypt. He fled for his life 40 years ago from the, the passage here. But now in the desert, God appears to him and God speaks to him in an unmistakable way in the burning bush. And in the first part of chapter 4, we saw last time, God gives Moses miraculous powers. Let's pick up in verse 10 now. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore, go. And this is the fourth time he said, go. And I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him, and take In your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please, let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. A few weeks ago, Pastor Mark preached on Isaiah 6. There's that scene 
where Isaiah says, as he's initially overwhelmed with his sinfulness, but God calls him, he says, here am I, send me. Moses also encounters and has a vision of God, but he says, here am I, send someone else. And it reminded me of a song by Scott Wesley Brown that I adapted a little bit and and tweaked for what Moses might have been thinking. Please don't send me back to Africa. Even if I can turn sticks to snakes, I'm slow, not quick. I have uncircumcised lips. I just don't think I've got what it takes. I'll serve you here in Arabia in my comfortable shepherding life. But please don't send me to that Egyptian court. I just want to retire with my wife. I think that's somewhat of what's going on here. And it's, it's, it's funny, but it's sad how we can make excuses, can't we? Why we don't step out of our comfort zone for far less than what Moses was being called to here. Or, or even why we don't get out of bed early enough to, to spend time with God and his word. Moses actually feared a government trying to kill him. He, he had to be reassured that, that they weren't seeking his life anymore. Our fear in talking to people about sin is that maybe they won't like us on, the, on their way to hell, where it is infinitely uncomfortable, eternally. And so we, a few weeks ago as I was reading this passage, preparing, I, I was honestly a, a, a little bit struggling with, with Moses here. He's shown you these miracles, why don't you go? But the more I look at my own heart, I can't condemn him at all. I am convicted that I am like him. Worse, I needed this message. And, and so if you're tempted or maybe have been a little bit hard on whether the disciples or Israel or Moses, let's, let's remember how hard this assignment was. Put it in modern perspective. Let's say he was to go to North Korea and to request a meeting with Kim Jong-un and to say, I'm here to tell you that Christ, the one true God, has said, you need to let all the Christians go from North Korea to South Korea. And all the the, the million-plus people in your labor camps, they need to leave the country so that they can worship him. Pharaoh was a a dictator on the level of, of that in the ancient world. And he's being told, Yahweh said, let my people go to worship me. And we're going to see, he's going to say, I'm not going to let you go. Moses knew how Egypt worked more than anyone. But here's the encouraging thing as you think about that, what he was called to do. If God can move reluctant Moses to do even that, he can move us, he can use us. And so we can't look down on his excuses. Let's look up together to God in this text. Let's rise up in strength for Christ's sake. Let's repent of our excuses. And, and let's, for the good of our families who need us to, let's move forward in faith, knowing that the Lord, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, is with us and will help us know what to speak. He's with us as we seek to share him in a town or country or a busy avenue or Africa or Asia or your workplace or your school or any sinner near you. Maybe you're one of those that thinks our church needs to to do more evangelism. But as we speak of our church, you're the church. What are you doing to, to serve? Or, or, 
or maybe I was listening to John Piper preaching on this passage, and he said he would have this thought sometimes when people would visit the, the church. He's thinking, oh, wow, I hope they feel welcome. I hope someone will go and talk to them and make them feel welcome. I, send someone else to go and, and welcome those people. And I'll tell you, there's, there's areas of, of service here that maybe you're thinking that, well, someone else, surely I'm not super qualified in that area. I know, I'll tell you, even in the last couple of years, those who served more in the past, some aren't serving as much now. Some of you are, are not very involved with the church. And if that's part of your mindset, someone else, we need to look at this passage together. If you're a reluctant servant, if you're reluctant to be involved and to have people in your life, or, and maybe if you're just honest, you're, you're just thinking, please, someone else, that's not me. The Lord who helped Moses has help for us, no matter what age or stage of life you are. If you feel inadequate, join the club. You'll fit right in, seriously. Because there are inadequate servants of the Lord. That's the only kind he has to work with, who he uses and delights to use. And so what I want us to see in our time here, just to, as we walk through this passage, I want us to, number one, see man's weakness and sinfulness. And then number two, trust God's sovereign power. And then number three, obey in Christ's strength. So I think we have this on a slide. We can pull it up. First of all, we need to see man's weakness. Do you see it there in verse 12? Moses says, Oh Lord, my Lord, I am not eloquent and we know from ancient Egyptian writings that eloquence and rhetoric was prized by the pharaohs. Moses grew up educated in that system, and it's possible he didn't do real well in that class. Or it may be he feels rusty speaking Egyptian, because it's been 40 years since he left. If you don't use it, you lose it, and so maybe he's feeling like, I don't I haven't hardly spoken Egyptian. I don't know how well I could speak now. But if you look at verse 1, it seems he's equally, if not more, concerned about his own brethren listening to him. Verse 1, Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. And he's talking about Israel here. God gives him this confirming sign. Take your staff, throw it down, and it becomes a serpent. And then Grab it by the tail, and, and it becomes a, a staff again. And then in verse 5, he says, Do this so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, their fathers, the God of Abraham, this is not Egypt now, this is for Israel, the God of their fathers, these are the children of Abraham, they're going to believe that the Lord appeared to you. Your brethren will believe. But Moses is concerned, and, and we can identify sometimes too, sometimes those closest to us are, are hard for us to speak to, especially if they've rejected the truth. We just think they're not going to want to hear it again. It'd be hard with your family. But don't give up hope. Don't give up praying. Don't give up trying. I think there was even a specific conversation Moses had in mind that made him want to give up. If you look at chapter 2, just back a couple pages, last time Moses tried to speak truth to his Jewish brothers as they're fighting, chapter 2, verse 13, 
says, Moses went out one day, and behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And he answered, who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid, and, and that's when he became one of Egypt's most wanted. There was a bounty on his head. He had to flee the country, get as far away as he could in Midian. But I have no doubt, 40 years later, that memory was still vivid in his mind. He could probably hear those words and probably replayed that conversation many times, those words ringing in his ears or maybe still stinging emotionally because he could get out of Egypt, but he couldn't get that out of his head. And he, he seems more concerned initially about talking to his own brethren, whether he can convince them. And I know for some of you, there's harsh, hurtful things said in the past, maybe even when you were in school and it's been years later and they can still pain you when they come to mind. Those things need to not paralyze us from what God calls us to. It shouldn't, but also there's a reminder here. We need to guard our hearts, but we need to guard our lips. We need to guard our lips with what we say to others. And maybe even right now, you're, it comes to your mind. This has just reminded you of what someone said or did that still troubles you to this day. Confess that to the Lord. Ask Him to help you to not resent, to move forward. Don't let that sin keep you away. And one of the things God showed Moses in chapter 4, verse 7, remember, put your hand, your, your leper's hand in your cloak, and then he pulls it out, and it's instantly healed. If God has the power to, to heal like that instantly, then surely God can heal other wounds we have over time. But chapter 4, verse 10, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you've spoken to your servants. The implication is you might have healed my hand, but you haven't healed my tongue. Since we've been talking, I, I still have this struggle the end of verse 10 he says i am slow of speech and of tongue now whether or not he had a speech impediment to god it is irrelevant at best and it is irreverent at worst because god is here to help him he, he tells moses basically i know how i made you i don't make mistakes but go, verse 12, and I will be with your mouth. I will teach you what to speak. Even a poor, lisping, stammering tongue can sing God's power to save. Amen? So Moses may be self-conscious of a slow tongue, whatever that exactly means. But he didn't need eloquence. He didn't need natural competence. He needed obedience. And he needed God's presence to help him speak. And that's what God promised him. It's not about your eloquence or lack or, or errands. It's about my presence to help you. So even if he stumbled over words or stuttered, God didn't stumble or stutter in chapter 3, verse 18, when he said clearly, already they will, this is Israel, they will listen to your voice. And so whatever weakness Moses had, 
he moves to sinfulness in chapter 4. And we know that because God will get angry. Moses protests in chapter 4, verse 1, Israel won't believe me or listen. And, and the irony is Moses isn't believing God. Moses isn't really listening to God. He's saying they won't, but, but he won't. He's not. And in verse 10, I think is a lame excuse because Moses seems fine communicating this to God. So he started humbly on holy ground. He hid his face. But, but he's not hiding his feelings here. And he's not slow of speech when it comes to making objections in the text, is he? He's quick to speak reasons why he's not the guy to speak. And so if he can talk in the presence of holy God clearly, you might even say he's, you could say he's talking back. Certainly he can talk to far lesser beings. And also Moses is able to clearly relay this to Aaron later in the chapter. And so even if something was the matter with his speech or speed, verse 13 is the heart of the matter when he says, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Moses isn't beating around the burning bush anymore. He's getting right to the point. Just, I just don't want to go. Can you just, someone else, he's, he's respectful, please, but please, anybody but me. That can be us. Maybe you don't speak when you should in situations. Maybe you want to just retreat. Maybe it's not a faraway place. Maybe you retreat to hobbies. Maybe you retreat to entertainment rather than really doing what God would call you to from his word. Maybe you withdraw. That's your temptation. You get into your shell. You go into your comfort zone. Or you just avoid people. You avoid serving or speaking his truth and love to a sinner. I just don't have that great of a relationship or whatever. You, you can have all kinds of reasons why you might not speak to someone. But if, if you neglect what God calls you to, and I speak from someone who has been convicted by this friend, See your weakness. See your sinfulness. And then number two, trust God's sovereign power. Verse 11. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go and I will be with your mouth. So God doesn't downplay whatever issue Moses had. He doesn't deny his inadequacy or inability even without God. He says, I'm sovereign over all that. I have power over your mouth. I have power over your eyes and your ears and every aspect of your life, and I am with you. And the implication is, trust me. It's not about you. I didn't pick you because you were so phenomenal. It's about me, God is saying. And I don't need a famous orator. 
I need a faithful reporter. It's not about being a famous orator. It's about being a faithful reporter. A faithful reporter reports accurately and exactly the news. And here it's going to be good news. You need to report my good news to my people as well as confront those who are in sin. And so this is such an important thing as we think about ability and disability. We've asked Cliff to preach next week more on the gospel and disability and understanding these things more biblically. But even just some comments here in verse 11. Can you see how God is sovereign over whether or not your eyes can see or are blind? Who makes the mouth? He's saying, who makes it able or unable to speak, which is what mute means, if your version says that. Who makes someone deaf or hard of hearing or or hearing? The answer at the end of verse 11, is it not I, the Lord? He claims sovereignty in making whatever ability you have or inability or disability. It's not sin or Satan. Ultimately, it is sovereign God who claims ultimate responsibility for our body parts and how they work or not in his purpose. And I can't help but think here of Johnny Erickson Tata, who's been paralyzed for 55 years. And yet God has used her mouth in a mighty way, her mouth to speak, her mouth to sing. You ever heard her sing? It can do wonders for your soul. She sings from her wheelchair, and and she also, with her mouth, has written books. And and not just by dictating, she, she has painted with her mouth, learned how to do that. Some marvelous paintings. I think of people who've been deaf and mute like Helen Keller or the blind Fanny Crosby who I think wrote one of the hymns we sang today has written many of the hymns in our in our hymnal and I think of Justin Peters who I got to meet at the last shepherds conference he he has cerebral palsy and has been in a wheelchair but his 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 mouth has been used mightily to speak of God's truth and in such a powerful perspective on on the the healing and God's sovereignty and, and all of that. And we also have special needs here in this room, and some of them you can see, but others you can't see as much. God specially and fearfully and wonderfully makes each and every one of us. And He is a good God. And in our elders meeting this week, we were looking at an article by an ACBC counselor, Paul. Totgis, and this is part of what he writes, regardless of secondary, and I, I believe he's had disability in his own family, but he says, regardless of secondary causes, genetics, injury, and so on, God, the sovereign God, is always the ultimate cause. As, as he made clear to Moses in Exodus 4.11, he is never ashamed to take credit for all those who have disabilities. And the personal takeaway, he says, is we need to trust his wisdom. God fashions each child with his purposes in mind. And God's ways are good and wise and kind. And every child, whether healthy or disabled, is of immeasurable worth in God's eyes. Each one is precious. And that applies to the end of life 
as well. Our bodies change and also lose abilities and, and energies. Whatever we lack, and we all have lack, we need to trust God is with us to help us like verse 13. And so I know there's a number in this room losing faculties and that can be discouraging. All of us, at least most of us, are going to at some point someday. And I would just remind you and myself when we're tempted to complain, we need to remember that God here claims, God is the one who claims to be sovereign over all of that in our bodies. And, and so let's Let's not complain at God. Let's, let's look to Him, speak to Him. We can pour out our heart to Him, but also know the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, Job said. But he could also say in greater suffering than just about anyone ever in history besides Jesus, Job could say, blessed be the name of the Lord, even as He gives and as He takes away. We still need to thank Him for what we do have, even if we're troubled by what we don't have or may not have soon in the future, we also need to recognize failing flesh and bodies as part of a sin-cursed world. This is not how it was created to be or will always be. So this is, there are effects of a sin-cursed world, but we need to remember there is a sovereign, caring creator who is in control as to how that curse affects us and who and when and where and who has ears to hear or not. So this is the God who says in this text, Who makes man mute or deaf or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? But we need to remember this is the same God who said in chapter 3, I have seen the misery of my people. I have heard them crying out. I am concerned about their suffering. And so I have come down. He says, I have watched over you. I indeed care for you. This is the same God who is sovereign but has compassion at the same time. And I think even when Moses says, send someone else and God gets angry in Exodus 4, he shows his compassion at the same time. He's been showing patience, but he, he, he accommodates Moses in his weakness. He meets him where he's at by having him meet Aaron, who was coming to be where he's at. Did you catch that? God sovereignly already has set it up. That Moses is on, or Aaron is on the way. He already has his brother on the way. And God's going to have them do this together. Aaron's going to help Moses relay the message. God knows sometimes we need a brother or sister alongside us for a time. We need to be those kind of people. And you might think Moses' weakness and sinfulness would have disqualified him. You know, maybe God's, all right, Moses, I'm, I'm sick of this conversation. I'm just going to find someone else. God doesn't give up on him. God doesn't send someone else instead. He doesn't just give in to, to Moses either. God chooses, and he still uses Moses and Jonah and Peter and a whole lot of other people. Look at verse 15. You shall speak to him, this is to Aaron, and put the words in his mouth, and I, God says, will be your mouth, and with his, will be with your mouth, and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people. So Moses had asked, send someone else, but God's going to send someone with. 
Not instead, but in addition to you. Both of you are going to be sent. And what's, in, what's interesting, and I, was, I hadn't noticed this the times I'd read before, is Aaron initially does the speaking primarily to Israel. But both of them speak to Pharaoh. And, and later, as, as it goes on, God just tells Moses what to say. And it just mentions Moses later on in the narrative talking to Pharaoh. Aaron's speaking role fades away. It was there for the beginning. And that's, that's an encouragement to see how the Lord not only equips him and encourages him, how he patiently gave him Aaron to help him outgrow his fear, but also to to grow his confidence. It should have been enough for Moses just to go alone, trusting God was with him, but I think that's a great example of God's graciousness. I think it's a great example for us who are imperfect children of God, also as parents, helping our own fearful kids, helping our own kids as they speak back at times, make excuses that are lame like we can do. Bailing them out isn't always best. Sometimes there is a a place for wise steps or helps that can help them to take the initial steps themselves and not just to do it for them. And so in the end of verse 17, when he says, you shall do the signs, it's, it's a singular you. Moses, you are going to do this, not Aaron. And sometimes we need a physical, visible reminder of God's power and presence. And that's what verse 17 also met that need for Moses. Verse 17, take in your hand the staff with which you shall do the signs. And this staff became the visible symbol of God's sovereign power at the Red Sea, the plagues, in the wilderness, even when they were at at battle with others, when they needed water, this became the visual token or, or symbol of God's power. And it's how God first met Moses in his weakness. Moses feared they're not going to believe. Look at verse 1, actually verse 2. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. Moses was worried about what he doesn't have. But God asks him, what do you have? What do you have in your hand? God can use what you have. What is that in your hand, David? It's just a slingshot with these five stones, but God's power can use that to slay the giant. What is that in your hand, Gideon? Well, it's this this lantern and and these little pots and things. God's power can use that to to power a small army to defeat a huge army. What is that in your hand, Samson? It's a a jawbone of a dead animal. God's power can use that to kill a thousand of their enemy Philistines. What is that in your hand, Elijah? Well, this is the cloak that I have. God can Used by his power, that cloak, to divide the waters and to pass on his miracle-working power as a mantle to Elisha. What is that in your hand, little boy? Oh, it's just five loaves and two fishes. 
Christ's power is going to use that to feed 5,000. I love this pattern of how God uses what is in what is very ordinary in the hand of his servant. And he can use it for extraordinary purposes. He can take what we have and he can remake it by sovereign power. So verse 3, and he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And I think this is a sign not just for Israel, but the one who's going to lead Israel. He did to see if God can use a stick like that. He can use a servant like us. If God actually has the power to transform a piece of wood, don't you think God can transform a person of weakness like me or like you? He takes ordinary people. He takes the little that we have, even with little faith, and he can make it useful. Praise the Lord for that. And so we need to say, take my life. Take any aspect, any part of me. Not a mite would I withhold. Use every power as thou shalt choose. Amy Carmichael wrote these lines, Give me the love that leads the way, the faith that nothing can dismay, the hope no disappointments tire, the passion that will burn like fire. Let me not sink to be a clod. Make me thy fuel, flame of God. The end of verse 20. Moses took the staff of God in his hand. Notice it's the staff of God. Earlier in the chapter, it was the staff of Moses. But now, from here on, it is the staff of God. Whether it's in his hand, or Aaron's hand, or in the Ark of the Covenant, it's the staff of God now. And this man of Midian is now a man of God. So here's what Francis Schaeffer says. Consider the mighty ways in which God used a dead stick of wood. We are limited, we are weak in talent, physical energy, and psychological strength, but we are not less than a dead stick of wood, even if you feel that way. We can become useful in God's hands if the little is truly consecrated to God. I think Paul understood this. Paul told the Corinthians, I did not come to you with eloquence or superiority of of rhetoric. He says, I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. But it was by the Spirit's power, he says, so that your faith will not rest on man, but on the power of God. And this is what he says also to the Corinthians, I think it's 2 Corinthians 3, who is adequate? Who is adequate for these things? And he's not expecting them to raise their hand Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God who has made us adequate as servants. That's where it is. We're not to think we're adequate. If we do, we are are foolish and, and proud. We need to realize we're not. Our only adequacy comes from God and he makes us adequate to be his servants. I love this quote by Sinclair Ferguson. 
It is misleading to say that God accepts us just the way we are. Rather, He accepts us despite the way we are. He receives us only in Christ and for Christ's sake, and He doesn't mean to leave us just the way we are. He doesn't leave us just the way He found us. His aim is to transform us into the likeness of His Son. Hallelujah for that. And so that moves us from trust His sovereign power to obey in Christ's strength. And I believe ultimately who Moses is hearing and seeing in this whole scene here is God the Son, not God the Father. And and so in the end of verse 1, it's it's about how Israel will believe that the Lord appeared to Moses. But Moses can't see God the Father appear. In fact, he's going to tell Moses later, no man can see me and live. So who is it that he sees appear here? He couldn't live if he saw God the Father. Who appeared in verse 1? John 1.18 says, No one has seen God, speaking of the Father, at any time, but God, who is the, the, the Son of God, is the one who reveals Him. So whenever people saw God in a, in a way before that, that the, so they wouldn't die, it wasn't God the Father. No one's ever seen Him at any time. It was God the Son. And so the one who says, I am, in chapter 3, is the same one that we have been learning about who says, I am, I am, I am in the New Testament. It's the same Lord Jesus. The, the, the God who here says, I make the mute, I make the deaf, I make the blind. It's in the Gospels that we see the Lord Jesus, the same Lord, makes the blind to see. He makes the deaf to hear. He, he makes the, the mute to speak and to praise Him and, and, and all of that. And so as you... Read Exodus 3 through 4. We need to think of Christ who strengthens us to do what he called Moses to. And so just even looking at verse 12, Jesus also promised his disciples, I will be with you, didn't he? He told them, I will teach you what to speak. You don't need to fear when you stand before kings and and governors. I'll I'll tell you what to speak. And, And he sends out his followers. And he promises them power. Not by a physical staff, but he says, you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. And that Spirit will be with you to the end. But even with that, that should be enough. But he sent his followers out two by two, didn't he? He knows we need each other. We need to work together. And if if you look at verse 19, he says, go back to Egypt for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. And so Moses took his wife and his sons and had them Ride on a donkey. Any of that sound familiar? Matthew 2, Joseph and his wife, his son. She's, she's, this is after he's been born. Herod, much like Pharaoh, is trying to kill the baby boys of Bethlehem. And the Lord tells him, you need to go. Go to Egypt. And, and after that, he says, go back for those who sought the child's life are dead. Almost the exact same words here. Don't be afraid. Go back. Those who wanted to kill are dead now. And so Exodus 3 through 4 is a preview of the gospel. And it's part of the word of Christ. And we'll talk more about that next time. But I need to say to you, if you have not obeyed the gospel... God commands everyone, 
everywhere to repent. That means turn from your sins. Trust in Jesus as your Lord. And Lord here and there means sovereign master. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son, the wrath of God remains on him, and he will not see life. But he said in that chapter, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom. The, The unregenerate are all spiritually disabled. They're all spiritually blind and deaf and spiritually dead unless and until we are born again from above by God's Spirit. But Jesus is mighty to save. And He can save you where you are right now. He has that power. Romans 5, 6 says, While we were weak, or or while we were helpless. Another version says, While we were without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. It's precisely when we could do nothing to save ourselves that He came. The Savior came. And he said, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. We can do nothing apart from him. Even as believers, nothing of any spiritually lasting value. But but Paul can say by dependent faith in Christ, I can do all things through Christ who, what? Strengthens me. It's Christ. I can fear no evil. As David said, because he is with me. His rod and his, what? Staff, they, what? They comfort me. His staff, the Lord, is a comfort to me. And so praise the Lord that this isn't the end of the story. There's someone coming in the story of redemption who would say, here am I. He wouldn't say send someone else because there was no one else who could do that salvation for us. But also know that this Lord Jesus knows what it's like to have people reject him. His own people, even his own literal family, his brothers. So Hebrews says he can sympathize with our weakness. He was tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. And he says to us, child of weakness, watch and pray. The flesh is weak. He felt that in the garden. That's why he said that. But he's risen now at the right hand of power to give strength to his inadequate servants. So we end where we began the scripture reading, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Christ said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then... I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's strong in the Lord. Jesus, what a strength for weakness. We sang, let me hide myself in him. When I'm tried, tempted, and often failing, he my strength, my victory wins. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Amen. So let that encourage us in our inability, in our insufficiency, to know that he is all sufficient and he is more than able to accomplish what concerns us today. Whatever we have in our hand and in our life, let's use it for his glory. Let's not make excuses. Let's seek to speak his gospel more boldly. 
And when we see weakness and sinfulness, let's trust his sovereign power and obey in Christ's strength. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Our great God, we thank you. We thank you for sending your son when we could do nothing to save ourselves. I pray that you would strengthen us, encourage us, and help us to strengthen and encourage others. And Lord, we have a great opportunity today, even with our fellowship time after the service, to encourage one another in the truth of your word. We pray all these things for Christ's sake and for his glory. Amen.